hello, hello, my friends. How are you? Welcome to episode 39 of Yins Are Good, the podcast that celebrates and shares all of the good stuff going on out there and all of the good people who are making that good stuff happen. I am your host, Tressa Glover, and I'm so glad you've tuned in today to this episode. You're going to be glad you did. I have a few exciting announcements to share, uh, but first, for those listening for the first time, welcome, by the way. Uh, for those of you um, maybe who have wanted to but just haven't made it happen quite yet, here's how to contact us to tell us about the good stuff going on, to tell us about the people in your life who make it better the acts of kindness that others have done for you or that you've witnessed. That's what we're doing here. We're sharing the good stuff to help each other, to make each other smile, to remind us all that amidst the bad news, there is such good going on. So let's help each other find and appreciate the good stuff. How do you do it? You leave us a voicemail, one 833 399 good or send an email to yinsaregood at gmail.com. Now, before I get into what's coming up in this episode, and it's fantastic, by the way, a couple of those announcements. So, from this point forward, we'll be doing weekly episodes. It's happening! I am thrilled. It's been my goal from the beginning, but obviously because of the amount of time that goes into each episode, and you know, I'm pretty much a one-woman show here, production-wise, uh, I you know, I had to start off a little slower, but as I like to remind myself, if not now, when? And as our listenership continues to grow, thanks to you um, for spreading the word, and please keep doing that. Thank you. You know, we want to keep growing this community. So keep telling folks and sharing episodes um, with folks. So it's time. And we're just doing it every week. Hooray. And I'm also um, psyched to share with you that we've recently been contacted by some folks who are interested in being sponsors of the show or of an episode of the show. Oh my gosh. Um, and so we're, we're moving into that phase now. And it's so exciting because not only, you know, or I should say, in addition to everything that, you know, we're sh sharing with each other on the show now, you know, these are local organizations and that's my goal. So anyone locally, these businesses, any kind of group who now we get to feature them and the work that they're doing here and for all of us. So it's just awesome all the way around. So, you know, that's something that you'll see from time to time. Some sponsors pop up. And I guess I should say, if you are interested in being a sponsor or know or whatever that means to you, just send us an email. Yinsaregood at gmail.com and we'll start that conversation. Oh my. Okay. But let's get to why we're all here today. What's in store today? Well, we have a lovely story from a listener. You're also going to hear from a senior at Robert Morris University who has created his own clothing line. What? 
and then a wonderful soul-helping conversation with Taylor L. Pinkston, the heart advocate. She sure is. Uh, I cannot wait for you to hear from her and learn from her. And speaking of learning, Don is back for Name That Neighborhood. I know you can already feel his his positive, looking forward to it energy that he has <laughs> about it. But yes, he is back for another round. And so that's the lineup. And again, thank you for choosing to listen today. I'm so glad you're here. Now, let's get to it, shall we? Let's get to the good stuff. Here is an email that we received from a listener, Ken. It says, A good many years ago, I was seeing someone and they were due to go away to celebrate their birthday for a week. They owned a cat and a dog and asked me to care for the cat, whose name was Bert, for the week. I've always considered myself to be an animal person. When I was growing up, my family kept a variety of animals, but never a cat until after I had moved away. However, I liked cats, and I had met my friend's cat on several occasions, and we got along fine. Bert arrived at my apartment, and it quickly became clear that we clicked. He was cuddling in my bed at night from the very first, and followed me around the apartment like my shadow. The week came and went, and my friend never came over to pick Bert up. And so a week turned into two, which turned into a month, and so on. I started to jokingly drop hints to my friend that Bert and I were starting to bond, and that he seemed to like living with me, which really wasn't a joke. And still, Bert remained. Three months later, my birthday rolled around. My friend gave me a wooden box as a present. Inside the box were four wooden letters, B, E, R, and T. It was then official. Bert and I were a pair. And we were. By that time, I had become totally smitten with my little black cat. I started to include him in conversations with friends and in lectures with my students. Soon, when people would meet me, they'd inquire, How are you and Bert doing? The world started to see us as a couple of sorts. And in reality, strange as it may sound, we were. I fell absolutely in love with the little guy. People would begin to observe that Bert was my soulmate when they saw us together, and I think they were right. We could be so entirely present to one another in ways I'd never been with an animal before. I started to understand what certain sounds that he made meant, and he was a very chatty cat. We attained a level of communication that I'd also never experienced with another animal. Again, it may sound very odd coming from a man of my age, but I connected with and loved that cat to as deep a level as I've connected with another person. He stands equal in most ways with the person I have loved the most in my life. Bert and my relationship outlasted the relationship that brought him to me, but I kind of joke that we had a wonderful cat together. A little soul who deeply enriched and graced my life in so many ways and made an impact that's going to last me what remains of my life. No matter how that human relationship resolved, I am forever grateful that my friend was able to let go of Bert and hand him over to me. I feel like I was given a jewel of inestimable worth because it was seen that it shone brighter in my hands. Those who have had an animal in their lives know the impact that relationship potentially has. It can enhance one's mood and health and spirit. My life was elevated because someone looked beyond themselves and passed along their loving, sweet, and smart bundle of fur to me. The 11 years that Bert shared life with me, I can't use the word pet, he really was my roommate, 
were some of the most loving, enchanted years of my life. I'm hoping that Bert is waiting for me at the end of that rainbow bridge that people talk about, because life has just not been as rich since he crossed over it three years ago. So beautiful, and I love that that sense of that your friend recognized the connection that you and Bert had, and because of that, was willing to give him over to you. Many episodes ago, we did have a couple of stories of listeners who shared about their pets and how they, um, or fur babies or roommates, um, but how they enriched their lives and, you know, made their lives better. And it's so true. So Ken, thank you so much for your beautiful words. And to your friend and to Bert, yins are good. A few weeks ago, I received an email from Parker Perry, a senior at Robert Morris University and founder of the clothing line Square One Athletics. And he was letting me know about the work he's doing. And I said, yes, please come on the show. So here he is telling us about the work he's doing. Hi, how are you? Hey, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing well, thanks. Awesome. I'm so um, I'm so glad that you reached out to me and I got to learn a bit about what you're doing. And I'm glad I'm, you know, I'm able to have you on the show. Yeah. Um, I was just looking around trying to find, uh, you know, different ways to spread the brand and, you know, good people to talk to throughout the city of Pittsburgh. Um, I came across the podcast and thought, you know, why not? I love it. Why not? Indeed. So to start, do you want to tell us a bit just about you? Okay. Yeah. So, um, I am 22. I'm a senior at Robert Morris university studying marketing. Um, I grew up in the Pittsburgh area. I've always lived in Pittsburgh. Um, I went to Avonorth high school. Um, actually I went to Avonorth all through, uh, elementary through high school. And then, um, I graduated and moved 20 minutes over to Moon Township to go to RMU. I've been a hockey player all my life. Um, love sports, love hockey. I love hanging out with friends. You know, within the last few years, I got really into uh, going to the gym and being active. Love it. Okay, got to talk hockey for a second. So I'm a big hockey fan. What do you think about the Penguins, where we are? Oh, I think they're doing incredible right now. Yeah. Uh, it's great. You know, the season started off with, a, you know, with everyone being out and whatnot. You know, coming off a 10-game winning streak is pretty awesome. And we're about to get Evgeny Malkin back, too. So who knows? Maybe another run for the Cup this year. Oh, my gosh. I hope so. I hope so. How lucky we are to really always be in the running. You know, I mean, how lucky we are to have it, you know, over the years to have a team like that. Oh, yeah. You think about you it. Know, yeah. Steelers and Penguins both. We've been lucky. Yes. I've been lucky to grow up here. That's for sure. I know, right? All right. Well, let's talk about, I think Pittsburgh's lucky to have you and what you've been doing. So tell us about this clothing brand that you've created. Yeah. Okay. So, um. Square One Athletics is the name of the brand. Uh, right around last uh, Christmas break, you know, I was just hanging out watching TikTok and I came across a, uh, a TikTok of somebody who decided to start their own clothing brand and um, they made it, uh, you know, faith-based. They were really religious and it kind of gave me the idea, you know, I've always wanted to start a business and um, I never really knew what I wanted to do. 
graduated high school and started going to college and going to the gym. Um, and it was something I was really passionate about and um, something that I've tried to get a lot of my friends into. And, you know, the idea hit me, um, you know, if I do this, this isn't going to feel like work. This is something that I want to do. And um, that's how the idea came to me. So smart. It's so true. So when did you actually start this? When did it get off the ground? So I, like I said, I got the idea like last Christmas break. Um, and there was so much research to be done after that, how to get, how to get clothes, you know, what to, how to build a logo. But, you know, there was just so much to learn, um, you know, trying to figure out how to build a website and stuff. Um, I ended up releasing the first line in April. Um, so it only took me about four months to get everything together. And wow. I released two colors of t-shirts. Um, some guys' shorts, um, leggings and sports bras, and then uh, hats. Holy heck, four months. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, it didn't really feel like uh, didn't really feel like work. It was just kind of something that I really wanted to do. And I finally found something that, you know, I was passionate about that I could turn into, you know, making a business out of it. And so, I mean, I was working like nonstop talking to people and doing research and, you know, ordering samples and figuring out what kind of clothes were going to be the best for the brand. How do you, how should I say it? But how do you start with all that? Like you were saying, but were there any specific, um, let's see, like producers of the material, you know, any specific places that really kind of helped you figure it all out? Yeah. So, um, I live in Coriopolis right now, uh, like right down the street from RMU's campus. And whenever I first started doing some research into, you know, where am I going to get the clothes from, um, I found this uh, printing place on Neville Island. So I reached out to them and um, made a connection with somebody there. And uh, I went over there a few times and um, talked to him about, you know, what I'm trying to do, um, what kind of options they have available. And um, we started feeling different kinds of materials for shirts. And, you know, one thing I was really um, adamant about was making sure that everything was going to be top quality. Because, mm -hmm. you know, with brands like Nike or Adidas, you know, you're buying the brand for the brand. Um, you know, with Square One, I wanted it to be, you know, people buy it for the quality and for the affordability. Because, you know, when people start getting into being active or going to the gym or whatever, you know, they don't really want to spend $50 on a pair of leggings or $35 right. <laughs> t-shirt. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I talked to them, started getting some samples, and I went through about four or five kinds of t-shirts before I finally settled on the kind that I wanted to do. So cool. And what's the name of that company on uh, Neville Island? Uh, it's called Cheeseburger Design, actually. I love it. And so and so speaking of your brand, and you were you talked a little bit about this already, but I know you have a a really specific message behind it. Yeah. So the name behind um, Square One Athletics, it means, you know, people don't, you don't start from being all these bodybuilders that these big brands post on their, you know, on their social medias and stuff. Square One, it really means, you know, everyone started somewhere. Um, you start from Square One. So it's, it, the message behind it is really just trying to be inclusive and encouraging to anyone who's looking to try and make like a healthy change in their life or, you know, start being active, whether it's just riding a bike, um, hitting a gym or just getting into some kind of intramural sports. Um, it can definitely make much more of a difference than you may realize in the beginning. Um, you know, for me, I found that it's an incredible confidence booster. 
um, it was really something that I fell in love with. Became uh, much more confident in myself. You know, you start to look back and see slightest bits of progress towards your goals, and it's just really a, a big motivation, big motivation and a big push to, you know, keep going. And um, I just overall feel like I'm much better in my mental health state whenever I'm staying active. I was going to say just that about or ask you really if you found that connection between your mental health and your physical health. It makes a big impact. You know, there's been times where, you know, I'll get a slight injury here and there or something and I'll just I'll take some time off to make sure, you know, I'm I'm doing all right. Give uh, give myself some time to heal. And it's just kind of it's not the same as being able to wake up in the morning and, you know, have something to look forward to. Go out and uh, hit the gym or something. Just be active. Mm hmm how I see it a bit too is the message that you're sending is, you know, uh, for being physically healthy, but also how it just translates into finding that thing that it is you love to do. Whatever that thing is that you find that you love, you can achieve it. You can do it, right? <laughs> you just have to start. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I mean, a lot of other brands, you know, they post on their social medias, you know, the the winners of Mr. Olympia bodybuilding competitions or, um, you know, people have been going to the gym for 10 plus years. And a lot of the times it can be intimidating for people, you know, like, is this what I'm supposed to look like after a week of the gym or a week of, you know, going for a run? So um, really, it's just supposed to be, you know, like, don't set your expectations like that. You know, everybody does start somewhere and that's okay. You know, whenever somebody first goes to the gym, I'm, I know whenever I first started, um, one of my friends who was really into lifting, um, he took me to a gym and it, I was terrified. I had no idea what I was doing. Oh. And um, I definitely would not have gone if it wasn't for him, you know, showing me everything to do. And then slowly you learn more and more. And then I start bringing other friends and I start, you know, teaching them some stuff. So it's definitely just it's nice to have that push and mm -hmm. have somebody there with you. Absolutely. Where can we find these clothes? Where can we go? Yeah, so um, I have a website, uh, you know, www.squareonethletics.com. And um, one is spelled out O-N-E. Um, I also have a Facebook and an Instagram. Uh, the Instagram is at squareoneathletics underscore. And the Facebook is just at squareoneathletics. All right. And those, I, uh, those will be included in our show notes as well. It's been so cool talking to you. And I got to tell you too, it's, it's inspiring. You're in your last year of school, right? And you're, I mean, there are many things that you're obviously focused on and, and even starting this when you were a junior, right? So keeping, you know, having that drive and really wanting to do this. Um, thank you for that. I think yeah, it's a really you. good reminder <laughs> to all of us, you know? Yeah. Thank you. Taylor L. Pinkston created the Heart Advocate to help all individuals, no matter their ethnicity, gender, or sexuality, choose self-love as a coping skill for mental health and healing support. I had the honor of getting to chat with her. And it was such a pleasure, such a joy to get to speak with her. And I'm really looking forward to sharing our conversation with you. She helps so many uh, who are going through 
so many different things, uh, including anxiety, depression. So you'll hear us talk a little bit about that. Here is our chat, and I think there's something in it for everybody. So take a listen. It's so nice to talk to you and to get to meet you. You as well. Would you like to just start off by, please, um, telling us about you, about yourself, and how the Heart Advocate got started? Well, I was pregnant with my daughter after graduating with my master's in social work. And throughout that time, I was struggling with prenatal depression. Um, And after I had her, a little bit of postpartum depression and feeling very overwhelmed with the idea of how I got to the space that I was in. So a lot of um, self-hate, a lot of um, just feeling like I let myself down. And it led me in a self-love search, um, a self-discovery search, talking to people that I knew that were, you know, talking about self-love. I think around that time, self-love was really buzzy um, Mm. on social media and everything that I saw just was not clear about what self-love meant. So I Googled it, somehow stumbled across the path of self-love school and I wanted it Um, in my dream to help people in some way, you know, working in child cares when I was younger. And then, you know, I wanted to write, I wanted to sing, but then I wanted to get into social work when I was in college. And I uh, joined the path of self-love through scholarship because I couldn't afford to take the courses. And so I wanted to continue to spread the message. I didn't want to just apply it to my own life. I wanted to share it with others. And Mm. so the purpose of the Heart Advocate is to combine or be the bridge between the mental health and the self-love space. Becoming a social worker, I wanted to be a therapist. Um, Mm. So I use everything that I was taught through the path of self-love in the therapeutic work that I do. Very non-traditional, but very needed from what I'm seeing from 2015 to now. It's been a lot of of practice in self-love. What is self-love? It's so many things. Um, Being able to be honest with self, kind to self, accept who we are take care of ourselves, trust our inner wisdom, uh, honor ourselves. Practicing self-love is what builds our self-worth. Hmm. And it's it's a verb. Self-love is an action. There are things that we do to love others. And those are things that we can also give ourselves. The basic kindness towards self. You know, when we think about Mm. how we love others and those that we love, we're very patient and understanding and graceful with them. But we don't always give ourselves that same energy. Mm. So for me, yes, it is deep. It is vast. It's not a one sentence definition. Um, There are, in what the path of self-love describes, branches of self-love. So self-love is a tree. There will be branches of self-love that we can all engage in that help build 
worth. So it's a practice. It's a journey. It's something you have to choose every single day. And I stand by that. Hmm. And I think, and, and you refer to this, but it, it really does seem, especially now, that that's something that a lot of us can benefit from. This is something that a lot of us, I think, need. It's um, an everybody you, thing, yeah. for sure. Yeah. Most importantly, the heart advocate is depiction of what self-love looks like. So it's not always pretty. It's not always glamorous. It's not always easy. My programs and the things that I do in in the community for individuals are very, are just that. They're, they're very tailored to each person. I think self-love is for everyone, but everyone doesn't practice self-love the same way, nor do they need the exact same things. Hmm. So... I do non-traditional self-love therapy sessions. Everything is virtual that I do. Um, I started to do some in-person stuff, but as you know, the world that we live in right now, safety is the most important thing. So most of the work that I do is virtual, um, which interesting enough, I was doing prior to this pandemic because I'm a, hmm. I'm a mother. So I have a six-year-old now. When I started, she was three hmm. um so, so she's very familiar with what I do now but at the beginning you know it was like <laughs> she's in sessions and she's practically you know she's the heart advocate too she's she's <laughs> she's my first employee ah, um, I love it <laughs> so I've been doing virtual work and very familiar with it prior to all of this mm-hmm. uh so yes my sessions are an hour I do I use CBT in that space and CBT is a connector to self-love work. CBT work is the um, empowerment and self-esteem. Uh, also self-care is a, is a big part of that. And those are branches of self-love. And then the program that I do, um, I teach about each branch of self-love, how to apply it to your life and it's a 12 week program that I do um, for individuals who desire to get connected with themselves and to self-love. I also speak and do presentations on self-love. I do a workshop (laughs) called self-care matters, which is probably my favorite um, presentation with slides that really just breaks down self-care. That's another really buzzy word. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just, there's a lot of ideas of what self-care actually means. And I find that it's very surface and superficial. So it's just a, a deeper connection to these words and what they mean and how to actually practice them. Um, mm. um, if we could go back one sec, just to, so you're talking about CBT and I was thinking maybe if folks aren't yes. familiar with what oh, that yes, is. absolutely. So CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy. I'm also employed at Healthy Start, Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I do cognitive behavioral therapy through a program called Moving Beyond Depression. So that specific work is, is um, through Healthy Start. 
but we use Mm -hmm. cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's a type of therapy treatment model that focuses on the here and now. What are you feeling, thinking, doing? How is that contributing to your mood when you practice accepting yourself? When you practice empowerment, you are able to cope with mental health concerns like depression, PTSD, anxiety, and things like that. So um, although therapy is not only for mental health concerns, uh, self-love is one of those skills that everyone can use in any nook and cranny of their lives. Mm. You help so many people, obviously, Um, and you do help folks who are struggling with anxiety and depression, for example. What would you like to say to perhaps those in our audience you'd like to say to them who might be, you know, battling those right now? I think most importantly, realizing it for ourselves, you know, you're not alone. You're not Mm -hmm. the only person that is experiencing depression, specifically women, one out of four women experiences some form of depression in her lifetime. That statistic Mm. is high. One out of four. Yes. Yes. And the Beck Institute um, has a lot of information on that specifically. They're they're the CBT folks. Mm. Um, So if you're CBT is great for really just um, looking at what's happening and trying to create new actions and behaviors and things like that. Um, but that, that's what I do with anybody I work with. There's always someone out there that be going through exactly what you're going through, but there's someone that can relate. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's common to experience, you know, I'm feeling down. I don't feel like myself. I feel overwhelmed. You know, I cry all the time. I'm, I'm just, you know, not in a space where I'm feeling good. Is not your fault. You didn't ask for that. Um, so normalizing symptoms is so important. So I think the, the self-awareness and self-honesty branch of self-love is so important because we have to be able to look at ourselves in order to know what we are willing to do moving forward. Sometimes, you know, you just need a support group. You know, I have a virtual support group on Facebook called Healing Over Everything. It's a great space for venting, for sharing, for getting support, for getting advice, if that's what you need support with if you're 18 and over. Like, sometimes we just need that. But sometimes we need to, you know, flip our insurance card over and call that behavior number and start Mm. to really find a therapist or a counselor or somebody that is a licensed certified professional that can help us with our mental health. Um, I think when we're able to say that our feelings are valid, you know, Mm. we have these feelings about ourselves. We have these thoughts about ourselves. They're valid, but that doesn't mean that they're true. And if it's getting to a place where you are feeling like hurting yourself or others, or you can no longer get out of bed, it's okay to say, I'm not feeling my best and I need help. Get familiar with what depression and anxiety um, and these things, even self-hate, what that looks like so that you can then, you know, begin to make decisions on 
on what to do moving forward. And I think asking for help is really hard for mm-hmm. a lot of us. But like you were saying, Tressa, during this time, we are mobilized mental health than I've ever seen before. And it's so empowering to see people say, you know what, it's okay that I'm dealing with this and I'm going to do whatever I need to do. So yes, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of waiting lists out there for counselors and therapists because people are going to therapy, which is great. Get on the waiting list. Get on the waiting list. Um, And also my website, The Heart Advocate, I have articles and free self-love resources. So sometimes journaling, doing a couple journal prompts, asking yourself some questions can really help. Mm -hmm. Um, As you're saying that first, well, the first step is often the toughest and like mm-hmm. and saying just saying I need help and also I think it's it's wonderful that you mentioned there are a lot of waiting lists but get on the list because sometimes mm-hmm. right uh forget it it'll take you know and then yes. maybe you back off yep. it instead of exactly you know no let's do let, let's do it you know whatever I can do at this moment that's oh, going to yeah. help mm-hmm. and um the Facebook page you mentioned too and I'll have your website and I'll put that page in our show notes as well for listeners so they can go right there and but I think that's great too about different maybe things that that people don't think of right away of different ways to just talk to people who may be experiencing similar things you know similar feelings similar um, and just getting out of especially at a time when we're more isolated than usual and also too speaking of you know the work that you do specifically have you noticed any common thoughts or behaviors, you know, regarding, as you were talking before about negative self-image, you mm-hmm. know, negative self-worth, anything that stands out to you kind of across the board, regardless of age, gender, you mm-hmm. know, culture, race, mm-hmm. is there anything that, that you find is common? I would say the most common thing that I hear from humans mm-hmm. is that they're not good enough or not doing enough. Hmm. In some way, shape, or form. Um, I I know that perfection is in everything. Uh, I'm, I'm an American, so I'm from America, and I can't speak for other countries. Perfection is in capitalism. It's in everything. It's in... It's in everything. There's this idea of a standard of what is right and everything else is not good enough. So every commercial billboard... Mm-hmm. This idea of what is right and we compare ourselves to that image or idea. And yeah, we could break, we can go through the gender conversation, we can go through the race conversation because there is a disparity. But the reality is even the person with the most privilege still feels like they're not, they're not doing enough. And so there's this battle with self to fix ourselves because we're broken in some way shape or form because the world has told us we are um or there's this constant pressure to perform so now i am burning myself out because i need to be up to a certain standard of excellence meanwhile you know i'm more anxious than i've ever been because i just always feel like i have to do 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 so one of the mantras that I say to myself and that I share with the people that I work with is, you know, putting your hand on your heart 
and closing your eyes and saying, I am enough, good enough, I am doing enough. Because, yes, goals and dreams, and you can accomplish those while being compassionate with yourself. Both can coexist. We don't have to put the pressure on ourselves to be perfect to accomplish our goals and our dreams. And I think defying that idea that we're not doing enough is something that anyone can relate to. Well, that one... That's resonating in me in a big way. I, I know yeah. it is. I know it is because it's a human <laughs> It's a human thing. thing. It's a human is. thing. It's, it's very human. And that's what I do every, every day. I try to connect with people and help them to value themselves. It's not about me. It's about you. What do you desire for your life? And what are you going to do to have joy, love, and peace? Because I think that's really what we all want, right? Like we all want. We all want to have love. We all want to feel that inner peace. And self-love is the way. I just stand by that. I just really believe that self-love is how we shake that up. And I think a lot of our depression and anxiety come from that space. I'm not good enough and I'm not doing enough. Mm -hmm. You know, so when we self-love, we put ourselves in a space of accepting self. And when you do that, you're defying a lot of the negative self-talk that's running through your head because I'm actively practicing compassion towards myself, just like I would if someone I loved called me and said that they made a mistake. I wouldn't tell them that they're the worst and that they suck. <laughs> I would speak to them with love. So I should give myself that same energy. And I love oh it. I love, love, love watching people love themselves. It's the most beautiful thing. Oh, I just like got chills when you said that because is there a better way to spend your day? I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> wow. It is. It's pretty good. I'm not complaining at all. It, it's very, um, it's like the best addiction in a sense, you know, it's like the, the thing that you want to share and everybody that I connect with on a self-love space, they're talking to their friends, they're talking to their parents, they're talking to their kids, they're, they're spreading it. So like everybody's spreading self-love. And I think that is even more beautiful. Mm. I know even just talking with you today, I feel like I feel lifted. I feel lifted up. Oh, just Oh, my goodness. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so glad. Oh, oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's what it's about. Yeah, I'm in. I love this. <laughs> and so, anything else you'd like to, to share with us before we go? Do your heart work. You know, just do your heart work. Surround yourself with people who are loving and respectful, who are working towards their mental health and self-love journey. But are practicing self-care, be mindful of who you follow on social media. Be very mindful. It's energy that we are taking in when we're scrolling and seeing certain things. So you want to be sure that what you're surrounded with matches your, your vibration, you know, like what you're trying mm -hmm. to work towards for yourself. I know we're, you know, at the beginning of a new year. Absolutely. Everybody's trying to ride a wave, but 
your feelings are valid even if they're not the feel good feelings so just allowing Mm. yourself to exist but also giving yourself this space to do something about when it feels like you're losing control so ask for help ask for help Mm. doesn't mean you're weak for asking for help it actually means you are strong you know it shows great strength to be able to say I need help Mm mm-hmm Thank you. Thank you for everything you're doing and helping so many and also taking, you know, going from a place of what you were, what you were going through, what you were dealing with and not just finding ways to get help for yourself, but recognizing, Hey, other people need this too. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And how can I help others and how can I share that and and spread that? Thank Mm -hmm. you for that. I receive you and I appreciate you, Tressa, for having me. Um, And yeah, thank you. Thank you for for seeing me. Mm, My pleasure. Hello, Don. Hi, Tressa. How are you? Oh, just peach keen. How are you? I don't know why that struck me as really funny, just the way you were saying that. I'm good. Thank you. I don't either. I'm good. I'm good. Yeah. Uh, Anything to share before we get started here? You don't have to, but. About what? I don't know. Life. Mm, Feelings. Like musings. Yes. Musings. No, I don't have nothing. Nothing to say. The the snow's lovely when you don't have to drive in it or shovel it. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. Pretty. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, should we hop into it then? Name that neighborhood mm-hmm. sing songy and everything <laughs> yes well let's start with what your choices are can't wait mm, we know it moon township okay peters township okay dual townships today yes battle of the ships mm. you sunk my battleship <laughs> is all that comes to mind oh it's gonna be good today i feel it uh-huh um, I'll take moon one. <laughs> you <laughs> you hit- sunk my battleship. Yeah. Oh my God, this is, br- it's off the rails. Are okay. You, do only British people play battleship? I think so, yes. Fair. Yes. There are five. Great. <laughs> statements of fact. Love it. <sighs> Number one. During World War II, the federal government built a housing plan in this neighborhood for workers from the nearby Dravo Corporation shipyards, where hundreds of landing ship tanks were being built. Moon Township. Woohoo! Done! And that was a wordy statement of fact. Sure was. And that was a complete guess. Wow. Mm hmm. So let's talk more about it. Uh It is Moon Township. The neighborhood was named Moon Crest as it overlooked Neville Island. Mm -hmm. So Moon Township, Moon Crest, right? Like the crest of a... Okay, I don't have to explain it anymore. No, I get it. And what's funny is without knowing any of this, I remember growing up, my grandfather owned uh, a few small apartments, which I imagine are a part of this housing thing that you're talking about in Moon Crest. Yes. he would always say that he was going to Mooncrest to, to um, deal with something for his tenant. 
first No, you're tennis. kidding. Yeah. Well, I knew when, you know, because of its location and that you grew up, you were close to Neville Island, but I, mm-hmm. oh my gosh. Yep. Never knew this. Continue. Well, yeah. So it was for the workers, both men and women. Uh, many of them lived in Mooncrest and what they were doing worker-wise uh, at Dravo Corporation. They were producing armor plates, uh, munitions, as well as these LSTs. That's the abbreviation for landing ship tanks. And just an interesting note here. So during World War II, Dravo Corporation was the lead designer and builder for the LSTs. And what they were, it was it was a new class of attack landing craft that could carry 160 soldiers and more than 20 tanks and trucks and land them directly onto a beach. Huh. It was a big deal. Yeah. And then, and maybe this this would be when your grandfather bought them. So the neighborhood homes were eventually sold to private investors in the mid-1950s. And a Pennsylvania historical marker was dedicated on April 15th, 2004, right there on Mooncrest Drive. Mm-hmm. And the Mooncrest Historic District was listed on the National Register of Historic Places in 2013. Well, there you have it. Yeah. Huh. What a cool connection. Yeah. Number two, when free public education was introduced to the farmers of this neighborhood, the result was the establishment of four one-room schoolhouses, including the Bowers House, the Townsend House, the Callahan House, and the Denison House. Peters Township. You are correct. Yeah. So it it was interesting thinking about it this way, about Do you you want my connection? Yes. Your cousin went to Denison and teaches in Peters. So I thought, time for a guess. (laughs) Thank you, Cousin Sean, if you're listening. (laughs) Another family connection? This Uh is good. Okay. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love it. So I did think it was interesting um, when reading it, or just the idea of when free public education was introduced. I never thought about it that way mm-hmm. for any area, right? About how that really came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was 1835. So it wasn't until then that it was introduced to this Peters Township area. And then by the latter half of the 1800s, they were up to five schools, more than 300 students. And the county supervised the development of the schools. And they're the ones that had newer schools built as needed. Um, they developed a graded system and a system of hiring teachers. And by 1917, the township had 10 one-room schools and a high school. Nice. Yeah. Number three. Each holiday season, one of the historical societies in this neighborhood hosts a soup and stroll event at the Wright House Museum of Western Expansion. Um, Peters Township. You are on a roll. Hmm. Look at that. <laughs> yes, Peters Township. So, the Wright House and Museum of Westward Expansion. Were you familiar with this? Not at all. Yeah. Um, is owned and maintained by Peters Creek Historical Society. And uh, the property includes the Enoch Wright House, which was built in 1815, 1816. And a log house is also there that was built in the late 18th century and moved to the property later. 
The Wright House is listed on the National, State, and County Register of Historical Houses. Um, the whole property, the Wright property, originally consisted of about 800 acres. And the extended Wright families lived in log dwellings on the property until Enoch built his house. And it was actually designed for two families with a kitchen at each end Was of the it house. the Wright family and then the wrong family on the other side? <laughs> <laughs> and the maybes in the middle? <laughs> Yes, that's a bonus point. The midway part of the house was painted gray. It's a very gray area. <laughs> <laughs> um, originally, there were 12 fireplaces in the house, one in each room. And of course, that was your only source of heating, but 12. Now, interestingly enough, at the time the house was built, there was no fireproof roofing material. And with so many fireplaces always being used, uh, chimney fires were very common. Mm. So there's a stairway in the attic that provided quick access to the roof through a trap door so they could go up there and promptly douse any fires. Okay. Hmm. But quickly, of course, the soup and stroll. I just love that name. Uh -huh. um, but it's to showcase the property. And so this historical society hosts the event. It usually features homemade soup i would hope um I, I hope you don't soup while you stroll that seems dangerous i'll look into that yeah i'll send them a note uh bread and dessert they serve it all right there in the right house and then also some additional goodies in the log house hmm. there you have it soup and stroll soup and stroll i like soup <laughs> i like okay. to stroll at this point what's, what's your favorite soup would you say um, I like a good tomato basil with a grilled cheese on a cold day, uh, like today's snowy day. Is there anything? Not much. Better. It's better. Nope. I got to go with you on that one. Yeah. Let's also go to number four, shall we? Please. <laughs> In the early 20th century, this neighborhood would go on to welcome 16 millionaires as homeowners, many of them leading Pittsburgh industrialists. Moon Township. You got it, sir. Why did I say industrialist like that? I'm not sure. I don't know. Um, yes, Moon Township. So and there were many other wealthy families, you know, maybe oh. not quite millionaires. You would think they're shooting for the moon oh. as a wealthy family. Okay. Um, there were many other wealthy families um, living there, or at least they would build their summer homes there. So the appeal was an escape from the city. The clean air, the wide open spaces, uh, the rural feeling of it, right? So there were dozens of summer homes, mansions, uh, estates that were built where these farm properties had been. And around 1925, uh, local land developer Philip W. Gundelfinger. Mm -hmm, That's mm -hmm, a name. That is a name. Uh, created a brochure to lure even more wealthy Pittsburghers uh, there. And he referred to the area as Montour Hills. That name's familiar. It is familiar. Sounds like he had his gundle finger on the pulse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that was good. Um, and this brochure was called The Ideal Place to Live. And part of it read, quote, be one of the fortunate few to own acreage and a home in beautiful Montour Hills. The most desirable real country community in Allegheny County. No smoke, no fog. It's clean. Build in the country and prolong your life. End I, quote. 
I assume the pause you took was you flipping over the brochure, a la Gundelfinger's times. I was going to edit that out, but not now. <laughs> <laughs> Gundelfinger, um, <laughs> just fun to say, was offering lots of five acres. And uh, as he said, unquote, very fertile, well-watered, rolling farmland away from the smoke, noise, and the city's hustle and bustle. Hmm. Moon Township. Yeah. Well, Don, there's one more. There's only one more. There's only one more. It's great. Number five. This neighborhood provided the settings for scenes in the films The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh and The Silence of the Lambs. Peter's Township. Oh no! Oh, you were doing. I, yeah, I. Oh. I yeah, oh, no. I know. That's fine. Yeah. It's fine. Yeah, These it is fine. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna go on with the rest of my day and be just fine. <laughs> It is Moon Township, so apparently... So, The Fish That Saved Pittsburgh, 1979 movie. Yep, basketball. Wilt Chamberlain, I believe, right? I think so. And some scenes were shot in the gym at Moon Area High School. Uh-huh. And then Silence of the Lambs. Of course, they filmed in a few you know, different spots in Pittsburgh. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, parts, you know, certain scenes were filmed in Moon. And also several Moon Township police officers served as extras uh-huh. in the film. There you have it. There you go. The Battle of the Ships. It's great. With There's an apostrophe, of course, in front of ships. Because it's abbreviated. The, the, the ships. Yeah. The, the T-ships. But also we were talking about the LSTs. Okay. Mm. It's all coming together now for yes. me. Yes. From a shipbuilding perspective. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you, Don, as always. Thank you, Tressa. You sunk my battleship today. <laughs> that last question. <laughs> Just one. Just one. Four out of five ain't bad. It's not bad. We'll see you next time, Don. I'm sure you will. (laughs) Bye. Bye. And that is going to do it for us here. What? It's true. Thank you, Taylor L. Pinkston, so much for the wonderful conversation, the heart advocate, uh, and Parker Perry. Thank you for being on the show and for all you're doing to support and encourage folks. Listeners, please do check out our show notes for all of their information. And a reminder, in just one week, another episode, episode 40, will be coming your way. Let's do this. (laughs) And of course, you know it, 1-833-399-GOOD, or yinsaregood at gmail.com to share a story, to share a memory, to share the kindness that you're experiencing. Please share it as Ken did with his lovely story. I am your host, Tressa Glover, and until next time, in just one week, be safe, be kind, be good. Special thanks to Jen Saffron, the Corcoran Collective, Don DiGiulio, and as always, for our most fabulous artwork, Mike Ravino. 